podcasting from Chico, California. This is the Barbless Fly Fishing Podcast, where we discuss fly fishing, guiding, fishery science and management, conservation, and more. Know better. Fish better. Learn more at barbless.co. Here's your hosts, Chad Alderson and Nick Hanna. This episode of the Barbless Fly Fishing Podcast is brought to you by California Trout working throughout the state to ensure we have resilient wild fish thriving in healthy waters for a better California. Support Caltrout's innovative science-based work by becoming a member or donating today at caltrout.org. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Barbara's Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chad Alderson. Once again, I got Nick Hannon in the room. Nick, what's up? Dude, I'm messing with these awesome-looking freaking poppers. You got a bunch of, what are they, bass Holy bugs? moly, look at these things. Who do we have on today, Nick? <laughs> these are some awesome flies, guys. Thank you. Thank you. So we've got, uh, Nick, who do we have on today? So, yeah, Delta Delta bass bugs, right? <laughs> yeah. Welcome, boys. Can you guys introduce, introduce yourselves? Introduce yourselves to, yeah. to everybody for us. Uh, I'm Bradley. I'm the actual owner of Delta Bass Bugs. This is my dad. He's and he's your employee. He's, he's the employee. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm I'm Brian Polt. I'm kind of the loudmouth of the family, and I'm a proud dad. You know, I mean, he's a third generation fly fisherman, fly tire in the business, and he's done something with it. So I'm just you know. Plus, I'm a 24 year old business owner, and, and I've got an are... unlimited supply of flies. There, and you tying said, materials. You said you're a 24 year old business yes, owner, and I, how many of the you've never been to? Like uh, Vegas, have you? No, no. no. There's a lot of 24 year old business owners. <laughs> to in make Vegas. it clear, I turned 24 yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, he's he's doing really well for for the small business. I mean, we, he pays his bills every month, and you know, we we do we don't we don't release numbers, but we do good numbers every month. Nice. You know, he pays his bills by himself, and he doesn't rely on me for anything. And the fly business takes care of that. Well, I can see why you you, you get your numbers. I mean, I'm looking at some of these flies, and holy cool! There's just, yeah, it looks like that's a, toy a five. Box. Or no, that's an EWG. Look at howitzer. this thing. That's the EWG slider. Yeah, I think that's, I bought one of those from you guys a while back. You might. You might have yeah. a couple of those. Yeah. Um, so tell us how this all started. So it really started as a way for my grandfather Neil to sell his poppers directly online. So my, my dad owns Pulse Poppers. The balsa wood poppers are one of the best poppers in the world. I love them. I still throw them. I mean, in my boat box, there's probably a dozen or so right now. But, you know, Neil came to us, and he wanted me to do it, and I didn't want to start the business. I, you know, I was working. I was, you know, it's not for me. So he took it over at a young age, and, yeah, when it first started, he just sold poppers. That was it. And then at the time, Neil didn't have a direct retailer with the same Pult's name. He right. was selling through numerous other sources. So I was kind of a lost choice. Wrangled into it, I guess. So were you before that? Were you tying flies already? Uh, minimal stuff. Just okay. our own, our own personal stuff. Yeah. So I yeah. mean, I had developed the stage diver, which is in there somewhere. Uh, might be on the other side of the box, but I developed the stage diver. Um probably about two years before we started the business and actually that was one of the flies that led to my first bass and fly win <laughs> was that fly and it was such a demand at that time he had just started the business at the same time i won the first tournament which uh, one is that grab can the, you grab it out of there you see the, it in there uh stage drivers on the opposite side i've got it oh you got it okay yeah so how do you guys um talk about the creative process when you're tying yeah. these flies because i always get to the vice and then i'm like okay i'm gonna tie something that no one's ever tied before and then the muse that I'm supposed to have just isn't there. 
which I normally get when I design software, no problem. But when it comes to tying on the vice, I have yet to be inspired. So I end up getting online, looking on YouTube, and then getting inspired that way. So what's your guys' process? Well, I mean, for me, my end of it has always been, what of my conventional stuff can I bring into the fly world? When I developed that stage diver, I needed a fly to mimic a rip bait. And that's what that fly does. It's not like a dungeon that, that nose dives and dives. That fly suspends in the water column. Mm-hmm. And that's what I needed. For the largemouth in the delta in the middle of winter, it's nothing better than rip bait. And that's my rip bait. And that's why that fly was developed. It's got a rattle in it. Yeah. It's got big lead eyes on the front end. And it sits flat and it just hovers. So what's the rip bait for those who don't know what, um, what you're talking your about? Like minnow, myself. Yeah, your Rapala <laughs> minnows, your long skinny rip bait. You know, and basically it's just an erratic stripping yep. motion. They do it with a, with a conventional rod. Right, right, um, right. I tie that in bigger versions where we double hand strip and it runs like an S waiver. I mean, I have big swim bait, wool swim baits in there that, that we tie that are meant to mimic the big wake baits, the big swim baits. Um, the big crowd surfer, that's my wake bait. I, when you see me throw that, I'm waking it on the surface as slow as I can. You know, uh, him, when he develops the small stuff, he does a lot of the, the small mouth flies and, and that. Um, he does the business end. I don't tie mm-hmm. any production flies. He may take my patterns. I take, a and, lo- I take almost all of his designs and turn them around and put them into mass production mode. Yeah, right, you know, right. so he'll, he'll figure out how to make it where he can tie that at a reasonable rate. You know, and get it out to a customer without having to spend an hour tying a fly. So you, you're right now. You are still you're tying everything in house right now. Everything is tied in house except for our deer hair. We, yeah. Okay. We and and tire Kenya to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Our deer hair. We. It's too expensive and too time consuming to spend deer hair, in, in America. I, it's just I, if you do the math for what even shops sell deer hair for, it's eight, nine, ten dollars a piece. If you get the cheap stuff, it's eight bucks a pop. Right. We have it on our website for four because it's the cheap stuff. We get it at good enough rate from my tire in Kenya. We make maybe a couple of dollars a dozen on it. We don't really make a lot of money on it, but we figure with that stuff, we don't want to make money. Mm. We want to make money on our flies. It you know? allows me to have a, a wider variety of, a variety of inventory too, rather than just what I yeah. tie in-house myself. You know, I think that's the route he went with, like, the stuff that we all offer on our website that's drop shipped direct from China. Well, and okay. some, uh, some of those designs are things we've come up with ourselves. Um, I don't think you have a polywog in there. Might have one. So the, okay, so it sounds like y- um, you start kind of, like, you start the creative process. You yeah. come up with the, with, the, with the framework for the pattern, and then, and then Bradley basically takes it to production. Yeah, right? so him and I will go out. We'll test flies. That's cool. We'll test flies. If he doesn't like something, we'll try and figure out how to change mm-hmm. it. If I don't like something, and we'll try and figure out how to change it. And so, you know, we may have a fly on the water. There's flies in that box that there was one this morning, um, a clouser I tied on a 30-degree EWG hook. It was too heavy. It was running sideways. When you talk about uh, degrees in a hook, what specifically are you so talking about for the, those people um, that don't know? Right at the beginning of the hook eye, uh, on jig hooks, they have a kink in the shank. And right, it, like you'd see on a clouser. Fly. Yeah, like well, like a jig, jig clouser. I mean, this is just a deceiver style. But mm-hmm. that kink, this is, uh, I think this is a 45 degree. Looks hit. like it, yeah. Um, grab one of the big sparkle bunnies out of there, or big clousers, the so rainbow clousers. That has uh, less gape to the fly, right? Yeah, it, because of that, the, the notch in there. So, and what's a gape this, again, Nick? The space between the hook point and the, sh- and the shank of the hook. Thank but you. this is a 5-aught, 30 degree. You see how much less 
tilt. Yeah, yeah. So that angle. So what happened with this fly? That's a Gamagatsu hook. This is a Gamagatsu. Can tell because it's about as big around as my arm. <laughs> EWG. Yeah, but this is an EWG uh, jig hook. I mean, this thing's deadly. Uh, you can ask my hand. I got it earlier. <laughs> but um, but we found with these 30 degree that, you know, using a perfection loop, when we were out on the four bay this morning with Ryan Williams, had a perfection loop. It kept wanting to spin sideways. I, oh, put, a, I put a clinch knot to where it was anchored in. Yeah. Ran straight. Ooh. So that made the difference in the, in the tuning. And he was going, well, you need to put more lead in. Because we were testing the fly, yep. we didn't know. Yep, and okay. material based on like how much material we have on top of the fly versus the bottom of the fly will yeah, determine how that. This is a pretty hefty fly, right? Yeah. Oh, it, I see. Because the the degree of the degree on the hook is going to dictate where the center of mass is. Yeah, and it, it's much it lower the on the thirty degree I got than it is on the forty fives and the sixties. Okay. I think a lot of I think Ryan he uses sixties even. Huh. So mm -hmm. I mean, and that's a real high rake. Yeah. Um, you know. The the uh, balance fly leech guys they use all nineties. Yeah, you, I do. I'm you brought up balance. a really good hack though because um, a lot of people wouldn't even think that uh, uh, you normally having a perfection loop on a fly like that. I just did the same thing with the striper fly, and it was turning sideways on me and, and almost inverting sometimes. Yeah, just locking down. Right, having a clinch knot on there is going to keep keep that yeah, from doing that. Potentially, enough. as long as you have the, the rest right. of the materials kind of set so, up on that fly correctly, so then... The other time I'll do that, if I have a fly, like a uh, topwater fly, like my wake bait, and I don't want it to have the big S wave to it, I want it to have a more tight wobble, I'll use a clinch knot on the front of my topwaters mm. too. Mm -hmm. Improved or just single? Uh, improved. Always, yeah. you gotta just tuck it back through. It takes two seconds, right? <laughs> you know, pretty cheap uh, insurance policy. It is, you know, and I mean, it depends on the fly. I mean, I'll tie a Palomar knot just as quick as I'll tie a clinch. Uh, it depends on the fly and how easy and how heavy a leader I use. I mean, typically when we're on the Delta, we run fly line, twenty pound test. There's no leader. There's no tippet. There's nothing fancy. It's dirty. It's we're That's gonna eat that stuff up. Pretty much our leader formula. It's it's <laughs> interesting simple. that you take the conventional world, dissect it, and apply it to the fly fishing yeah. world, where most fly fishermen take the insect or bug world and apply that to their fly yeah. fishing. You know, it's it's, it's interesting, and we haven't talked about that much in our on our show. I could care show. less. I could care less if my fly looks like a bug. Right. I'm designing a fly for bass. Right. Bass do not eat bugs. Bass <laughs> Very eat rarely. other fish. They, they do I mean, sometimes. They do. Yeah, but not the ones I want. Right. I mean, <laughs> the one I want is not so eating a damn. It's eating a duck. No, it's <laughs> eating a duck. It's, there's a fly for that. Or it's eating the bluegill. He was, we were at Tulloch the other day, and he stayed behind. We were on the Delta Fly Fishers outing, and I was running different groups out because of the bite. They're so solid right now. I was able to take people out for two hours at a time, get them on 10, 15 fish. Oh, wow. Back. You know, so but he stayed on behind at the dock, and while I was out, he hooks a bluegill right on the dock, and a monster largemouth come up and it's swallowed it off the hook, <laughs> right off it. I mean, <laughs> and guess what? What hook does he have? It's a little nymph. It ain't gonna get that yeah. bass. You know, <laughs> how many guess, bluegill fly did you tie that night? Oh, we have a few. Yeah, <laughs> I want to see him. Get the big one. <laughs> yeah, oh, we we had we had something similar happen on my buddy's. Uh, my buddy's bass lake and nick was at the vice time this Blue is a wolf swim bait we call yeah. it our shell crackers i also yeah, tie yeah. A, a simpler version that's just white but same yeah fly. We do that well what's cool about doing white flies is that you Sharpie. can exactly you can have your markers on you you can color it wherever you want you know you don't have to buy a bunch of different color materials yeah. you can just buy white and our, check that one out it's color them up. yeah it's a wool game changer on a jig hook 
and uh, yeah, that's cool. It's got the game changer movement. It's a wool body, so it it really does shed the water. I mean, wool's hmm. water resistant. I mean, water repellent. Mm-hmm. So, so your first back cast, you feel that heavy fly. But the minute it hits the back of the back cast, all it that goes water away. comes off. All the water goes away, and it's a beautiful cast. So back. you're saying that all the synthetics that are out there that are trying to imi- imitate that same process is soaking in all the water where like a natural material is better is that what uh, is that what i'm hearing i like the natural wool for that kind of material yeah i mean we love synthetics for clousers and stuff like yeah. that but just like the bunny stuff you can't beat a rabbit leech yeah. right nothing beats stripped rabbit <laughs> i mean trout will eat it bass will eat it you know tarpon will eat it i mean so yeah. so why get fancy with it with all these materials yeah they're great and we play with them all i mean i have a synthetic get the uh i have a sparkle one in there it's almost all synthetic i mean you look at this thing and it's just sparkly flashy nastiness and it's all synthetic i'm not against the synthetic so we're looking at an articulated uh basically streamer pattern that has a foam head and a and sparkly body are these uh fish skull yeah we use everything We use everything Flyman. All of our heads are Flyman. All of our shanks are Flyman. Okay. Martin over there has always been really good to us. Um, Flyman Fishing has uh, is really loved what we've done with their with their flies, and, and yeah. we've worked we're working really close with them. And you know, we've been told that they're supposed to get new stuff soon. Yeah. The other thing that's get a real advantage is he came up with this clear coat that we put on our flies. I don't know if you Bradley seen, did. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's a mix between the both of us, but he figured it out finally and put it over the paint job, which, which I have the does. art background. Yeah. So the paint jobs, one of one thing I'm pretty proud about actually. Yeah. You hand paint all these? They're all I hand airbrush. Holy smoke. All hand. What airbrush, airbrush do you use? Uh, China. Is straight it, co- is it straight Copic out, or straight, it's out, of straight out of China? Um, really? It's, yeah. It's straight out of China. I Are mean, these tariffs going to hurt you or not? Um, no. so, so the only thing we put tariffs on are on the flies. <laughs> this thing's badass, man. So that I was is, looking at this fly. Yeah. This, so this see looks like much, it, see how much squirt or uh, rubber it, leg. It looks like there's a, a full package it's of rubber sexy. legs on this. Fly. Yeah. There's, there's two tabs of skirt material. It in looks like $20 <laughs> worth of material. So you're there. cutting that tab and basically gluing that inside the popper head. No, no it's fully no. tied in. Everything is tied to the fully shank of the in. hook. And then we glue our heads on after it with epoxy. Gotcha. Yeah, so so we tie everything to the hook, and it's tucked in there because when we tie it, even uh, uh, the production ones, we hollow out the back of the head a little bit. You have a dowel like perfectly sized for nah, that, it's or you hot just hot needle? Yeah, yeah. Just a hot needle. I mean, it uh, it's a little tricky once they're epoxy, but it works. I mean, it it's, doesn't take any extra time. I mean, some of the new soldering kits. Well, you know and what I'm talking what he, about? They have different shaped heads on them now, and you can so, really get some And good. I played with soldering irons. The needle's just easier. Is yeah. it? Okay. For, for this for foam, cutting, no. Because uh, you use it as just a cutter, right? Basically? Yeah. Well, yeah. no, I mean, we use it just to kind of melt that foam right. in there. Um, but like the uh, float and fly indicators mm. we're making uh, now every once in a while. Uh, yeah, I saw those on your site. Yeah, he, uh, uh, he found the soldering iron works perfect for melting out the top where we mount the little mm-hmm. stick up. And um, and we've been testing that prototype for a while now. Um, works pretty good. We got a few changes we need to make before we could offer it to people. But mm-hmm. how so important is profile on a fly? Well, that's kind of what I was going to ask. When this thing sits on the water, this is the fly with half a package of rubber legs on it. Uh, it sits tail down. So it, the howitzer it sits, sits sits tail down. Yeah, almost completely straight up and down. If and you then just, so it's just in, in the okay. water. It's just kind of moving a little bit. And then huh? when you pop it, it noses down and chugs. That's okay. the one thing I will say about the Flyman Howitzer over 
all other fly even or all, all other foam heads I've seen, it's the best chugging head hmm. ever. I've seen. There's and a I've joke in there. And Giggity. No, I mean, <laughs> Giggity. Yeah, I'm sure there is. I'm trying to behave myself. Uh, you know, you're on the wrong it, show for that, pal. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, it's one of the best chugging heads of all of them. I mean, and Neil's flies. My my dad Neil, his pulse poppers, really a great chugging fly, but these have something different and some guides have really learned to to dial it in this year bryce tedford he's been dialed on our howitzer all summer on the largemouth he's just been tapping and there's marabou too yeah yeah so so it's a it's a four-aught vmc hook uh we use the vmc with the worm keeper badass because then we can epoxy to the worm keeper and it keeps it from twisting on the hook so we're basically you know the old popper hooks are the king shake they use that key, that little mm-hmm. kink in the shank. Mm-hmm. Well, we've eliminated that by going to a punch hook. It just the, the kink shank just doesn't work as well for the foam heads because they're so soft. Yeah. So we found we put these big, you know, these punch hooks. They've got giant barbs on the edge of the hook. Mm. Um, I don't have any exposed ones, mm-hmm. but inside of there, it's just a big plastic that's welded to the hook shank, yeah. and they do a really good job. Gamagatsu, VMC, uh, Trocar, they all do really good jobs of getting that to stay. And, I mean, I can torque it wow. and, and break yeah. it free. Don't worry. I do this all the time to him, and I'll show you. But, I mean, oh. <laughs> he, so just, he just destroyed, a, he destroyed hours, of, hours of time. No, no. Oh, you can actually <laughs> put this kidding. right back on. He's I'm just so, kidding. He's so fast at those anymore. That's five minutes of tying. I just pulled a head off of Popper. That but only a guy can, that doesn't tie the flies would the, do that. Yeah, squeeze it, <laughs> smash it, step on it. Oh, yeah, he stepped on them. I mean, that clear coat protects wow. that paint. So you see that little metal barb? That's a Gamagatsu. Yeah. So the VMCs are actually a bigger barb than that. So they okay. don't, they really, it's hard to spin them. Jesus. Is that how you apply the glue in that front? So that's just epoxy to hold the weed guard in. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's we, just uh, to hold the weed guard in. Describe what, you're, describe what you got there a little, Nick, so uh, it's people just can the, understand. It's the front end of the popper. It's just, it looks like a, a frog head. So it's a large Flyman howitzer head mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. what it is. Um that's the large and you, version. And you guys bore it out basically with the hot needle. Yeah, we put a oh, hot man. needle and then the hook goes through it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we mount them pretty much the same way as Flyman. Uh, if you watch Flyman's website, they tell you to use super glue. We use 60 minute epoxy. Mm-hmm. Found it's just a little bit stronger. It mm-hmm. doesn't get as brittle when it gets cold. And um, you, uh, it looks like you put your weed guard just <laughs> into the. Weed guard just into there. The, uh, okay. At the bottom of the oh, mount. Oh, oh, just okay. under the mount Got is it. where we mount the weed guard. Got it. We burn a little ball on the end of the wire, uh, the fishing line. Yeah, if, okay. you, if you feel that line at the end of it, there's yeah, like a little yeah, melted ball. Yeah. So are, okay. are, are bass anglers like trout anglers where you, you get tired of staring at an indicator or, or uh, fishing subsurfacely and during the summer months as you're bass angling, it's all top water? Or are you, no. you doing a mix of both? Um, right now, I mean, on the Delta right now, it's, it's, it's a mix. I mean, there's guys that'll throw frogs all day long. Mm-hmm. And if you've got the right bite and you got the right tide and you know, and that's the thing about the Delta. There's a frog bite somewhere on the Delta all the time. Mm-hmm. There's a Cinco bite somewhere on the Delta all the time. It's just where in that tide cycle is it, which means where on the map is it? Because that tide cycle is not just straight in and out east to west. It's east, west, and north, south. So, you know, I fished the south Delta. You know, Bryce Tedford fishes the North Delta. Our tides are almost identical, but they're swapped high-low hmm. because he's at a different end of it. So, you know, usually when the middle delta, Frank's track, all the big break, everything everybody knows, is at low tide, I'm at high tide. 
Hmm. So, and then it's just the opposite. So there are guys like Bobby Barrick and, and, and John Sherman. I mean, he knows how to run tights. I know how to run tights. And what we'll do is, okay, well, I know I have them on that first part of the outgoing tide. So I'm going to fish the outgoing tide here. I'm going to run 45 minutes or, well, in, you know, 45 minutes in the tide is probably about 15 minutes downriver. And that's going to catch me to the front of that tide. And you literally can fish the first 15 minutes of an incoming tide four to five times as you work your way south in the Delta. And hmm. there's guys that are masters at it. And there's guys that can tell you exactly what the tide. I'm not that good. I can tell you it's going to be a low tide this morning. It's going to be a high tide this morning. I mean, my phone alarms every, every time it's a high or a low tide just because I want to have that cycle in my head always. So even if you, I'm not fishing the Delta heavily, we haven't been on the Delta in a month. We've been fishing Tullock, smallmouth. And see, as he keeps track of the tides, I constantly have the moon phase in my mind, too. Yes. <laughs> What's your theory on moon phase? Well, during the full moon, all the fish are up feeding all night. Mm -hmm. yeah, we call it the hot donut light. <laughs> so is that a softer bite during the day? They're a little bit harder to get a frog bite in the morning, I've noticed. Yeah, it, it tends to delay the bite. So if you've got a full moon, especially, right. you know, what I've seen, if you've got a full moon, the morning bite, you might as well just sleep in. Mm -hmm. Go go in at 11 o'clock. Um, a lot of times the South Delta is like that. I've seen the Delta, the whole Delta like that. They don't wake up till 9 o'clock sometimes. But then there's other mornings where if you weren't there at 6 a.m., you missed the frog bite, you're done. So talk about that frog bite and the tide. So if, the, if you got a high tide moving out, and is that pulling things off of the grass? And that's why, yeah. and, and the so, fish are sitting there looking for, the, for it. For the new listeners, if you're wondering what the fuck a frog bite is, it's basically <laughs> if we put a critter in front of the word bite, it just means the fish are keen on that one thing in that particular moment in time. So there could be a mouse bite, there could be a caterpillar bite, there could be a whatever bite, there could bird. be a frog bite, bird, bird bite, duck baby bite, baby uh, I don't know, bite. infant bite. Talk about that a little bit. So, so. My theory on tides in the Delta have always stayed the same. If you just want to catch fish, you're just going out there to have fun. If it's a low tide, fish the outside of the weed lines. If it's a high tide, fish the inside of the weed lines. If it's an outgoing tide, expect the fish to be moving towards you away from the walls or away from the flats or away from the lows. Because on a high tide, they all go up and they all feed. And you'll see it. I mean, you could watch a levee wall and if you just sit on it, as the tide comes up, you can see the weed line disappears and it, you know, it gets deeper. And there's a super highway in the Delta uh, between the rock levee and the weeds. Huh. That is a super highway of fish. And you know, it used to be a joke. If you got somebody new and you want to teach them to fish, you get them a Cinco and you go out at high tide and you throw it against the rocks. <laughs> because you'll find a fish. And we have the same theory with the fly. If I want to get somebody on a fish and I know they can't fish that well, I'm going to go to a rock bank that I know has one of these gullies between the rock and the weeds because the shape of the V of the bank. And I'm going to fish that inside edge on a hot tide because that's going to concentrate smaller fish and some bigger ones. You know, I mean, I call this my numbers game. You know, in my talk, when I talk to the groups, it's numbers fishing and it's one fish. You know, I like to one fish anymore. I don't numbers fish yeah. very often. He likes the numbers fish. He goes, the numbers fish. he goes to Tulloch and catches a hundred of them little smallmouth. Has a ball. <laughs> I do too, thanks to, you know, Mr. Cannabis. And, you know, so it's great. You know, it's really foggy in there in the morning. You get a little snoop echoing off the walls. And, and you know, it's a fun bite. But for me, going out, throwing the big crowd surfers, catching one fish is all. Yeah, good, for sure. You know? And, I mean, I did that the day before Bass and Fly. I kind of, as a joke, me and Ryan, we went out 
just pre-fishing. And I went to an area that I knew had a bunch of little fish. And my hope was to send a bunch of guys there by catching a bunch of little fish because I knew what was in the area. And literally my second cast to this bank, I stick an eight and a half. So you don't know in that's the Delta. A, that's a big bass. It was it was a monster. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan laughs at it still because I didn't smile. It's like, it's an eight and a half. Okay. <laughs> and I could, because, you know, eight and a halfs and nines happen in the Delta. Uh, you know, if you've been on the Delta any amount of time, you've got one. I've got several. I have three nine over nine last year. What's the record on it? I don't know. I, I have no idea what the record is. I think is. I've seen a picture of an eighteen pound largemouth. Uh, I've there. seen Jesus. I've seen personally I've seen fifteens yeah. at tournament mm. weigh ins. Fifteens aren't all that uncommon in the Delta. I've I, seen I a few well, of them. I mean twelve twelve to fifteens happen pretty at least a couple times a year. I mean, I would say twelve to fifteen happens at least multiple times a year in a tournament situation. It, if you catch one fish that's around eight pounds, are there guaranteed to be more big ones in the system? No, in that I, area? Don't, I don't fight by that. I mean, I, have, I read that they class by size. That's why so, I asked. So the only time I've seen them do that is if they're following the striper around. Okay. So in the maybe Delta, for protection, <laughs> no, 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 it's because they're lazy. So what happens is you'll get school striper, especially in the South Delta. It happens a lot. You'll get these schools of striper in the early winter that are coming through and they're feeding and they're getting ready to go up in the river system. And they're in the South Delta. And what you'll get are these schools of largemouth that just live underneath them. Because what do those striper do? Kill bait. They yeah. don't eat it all. They're just it, chumming. Yeah, so they're chumming for these largemouth. So there was a bite uh, an old-timer <laughs> told me about one time, Steve Sapp. He's a good guy. He's gone now. He was a great tournament fisherman, one of the best on the Delta. I mean, the guy could fish a jig slower than any guy. But... He told me once, he says, if you can get a bait through those little striper underneath them, you'll catch a monster. And me and my team partner went out that day. We found a school of little striper, and we got some jigs through them. It was not easy because we were catching striper every other cast. Right. But the jigs that got through them were getting hammered. And it was we had 25-pound bag that day. Wow. Five fish for 25 pounds, which in the Delta is not a big bag, but to me it's a good bag. I mean, that's a, that's a nice bag of fish. And we're talking about the combined weight of five fish, is that right? Yeah, combined weight, five fish. The Delta is an amazing place. I mean, you, you look at all these other fisheries around the world and, and how long some, some of them take to figure out, you know, and then, <laughs> and then you go to the Delta and you're looking around and you're like, whoa. Dude, oh, yeah. so know, many I've variables. Been, I mean, it's like playing 60 chess. <laughs> I, I've been full-time on the Delta probably nowhere else for the last 20 years. I mean, wow. since we bought, we bought the first bass boat when he was probably six was the first time I got a bass boat. Before that, I had an aluminum boat. But I got my first when he was like six, and I probably haven't left the Delta yet. And I don't know half of it. I get up on the North Delta where Bryce fishes. That's, that's all insane. new to me. It's a, you know, it's a new world. John Sherman put a thing on his Instagram the other day. He was up north. He goes, I really got to get up here more. Because the North Delta, <laughs> yeah, I saw that, yeah. it's smallmouth. It's spotted bass. It's nothing like where he fishes in the Middle Delta or where I fish in the South. We don't see spotted bass. We don't see smallmouth. I've caught, in all my time fishing in the South Delta, I've caught one smallmouth and one steelhead. That's it. But the mm. rest have been largemouth. I mean, that's all this mm. down there. I wonder why that is. The water temperature. Brackish. The water, water temperature. Too. So we have San Joaquin River water, which comes through the valley the whole time. It's so bathtub water. It's bathtub it. water by the time it hits Mossdale. We have the Stanislaus, which comes out by us, which is cold water coming in, and that's what kept them from spawning so late this year. So... That cold water influence on the South Delta makes it different, but it warms up super fast. Were things a month behind? Uh, no, it was more like two and a half. 
when when those so, do those two rivers uh, do they come together at any point? Those those the water currents. The, yeah, the Stanislaus and the San Joaquin meet at Mossdale or just above Mossdale. They call it River's End, um, and then we fish below that. I was going to ask. So, yeah, do they do they hang out in that thermo the warmer thermocline and like poach fish that are coming through uh, the if cold? You want to bring your jet sled? I've got some really fun stuff in I'll, about a month and a half. I'll I mean, take you up. <laughs> I mean, uh, count on so, it. Man. So there's, um, if you go on YouTube and go to Informative Fisherman, Nick Smith, he's a great guy. He's done a lot with Bubba's business, mm-hmm. inviting him to stuff. But he did a video where him and a buddy, they ran their jet sled up to Stanislaus. And you're fishing sand holes, basically shallow little holes the size of this table. Yeah. And there's 30-pound striper in it. Oh, shit. And, and, and sight, sight fishing? You're sight fishing. Entirely sight fishing. Yeah, I mean, are, are they throwing like big poppers for them? Yeah, they were throwing swim baits. Dude, that's sick. k taxes. I would like. be definitely down for that. Nick's bobbing his head up and down. <laughs> think yeah, we got a date. That one's, that one's fun. I mean, that one, you get in there before the river comes up, um, right as they so start. So it's like moving. in the fall then? Yeah. So okay. It's coming up pretty soon. Would you want to do that, Nick? Mm-hmm. Sounds pretty shitty. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so, I mean, and that's it. So. The run from there is not bad because you can launch at Mossdale, so that launch isn't bad. Um, but yeah, there's there's striper holes. I mean, there's striper going that river down there. Um, the South Delta is an interesting place that a lot of you know. That's why when we you know, when I always say we fish the dirty South, it's different. We don't have clean water. I don't have tulies. When I go out and fish, I'm not fishing tulies. When you think I'm fishing the California Delta, you think tulies. This kid grew up fishing wood. We fish trees. Mm-hmm. You know, we fish big oak trees. If it's not an oak tree, I'm going to skip over it and go to the next oak tree. Um, you know, and, and that's all we fish. There's a few tulies down there, but the first time I ever bring anyone, like the first time I brought Ryan in there with Bodie five years ago, his eyes open. He goes, this is not the Delta I thought. Imagine, you know, yeah. This is not what people think. And, I, you know, I had Bonnie Galvin down in there, and Bonnie's like, you don't know this is here. It's an old river. They call it Old River. On the yeah, map, yeah, it's yeah, yep. Old River. And the reason is, it's the Old River bed. I mean, before they built Grant Line Canal and they dredged that canal out, that was the channel the river took. Um, and when they built Grant Line, it kind of went dead, but it's still got its depth. It's dangerous back there. I don't I don't advise anybody to go back there. Because the water is dirty and there's debris. Uh, there's a lot of trees and they trees, move around. Yeah, yeah. Every year, the first time through, we go through on idle. I will mm-hmm. idle or, well, I mean, idle some areas, I'll run other areas, but more critical areas, we idle them the first time through because you don't know. I mean, you look at last year, not this year's bass and fly, last year's bass and fly, I was averaging a 25-pound bag leading up to that tournament, and a week before the tournament, we hit a log and ripped a hole in our boat. So, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I've got years down there doing it, and I still did it. We see so, two or three boats each year get stuck on the sandbar. Oh, yeah. They get stuck on the sandbars. But that's why, you know, guys with jet sleds, come on down. I don't worry about cool. you guys. You know, I can tell you just bond a GPS. I can give you a waypoint and say get to it mm-hmm. because I know that you guys can go over anything. So that's why when, you know, when I when we decided to do the fly tournament thing and all of that, I was like, well, let's do it in the south. And we got a permit. And, you know, uh, cool. so the, the south delta is different. It's wood, but it's still tidal. You know, tide completely affects the South Delta. What's the what? How much of a variance in in level is it up there south? Two, I guess on the south side, it could go three feet. I three would say feet. about two okay. and a half, three feet. Okay. I mean, it depends on the moon phase and where the tide's at. How much gas do you burn? Uh, so depends on Seems where. Seems like a lot. It would be a lot. Well, no. So if we launch out of Tracy Oasis, which is where 
I'm always launched out of. Uh, $25, okay. $30 in a day. I mean, something like okay. that. Half. That's half with the, the new game. motor and the four-stroke. Now, before yeah. with the two-stroke, it was, it was a lot worse. What, do you, what boat do you guys run? So I I got a Stratus 285 was my tournament boat. And then I retired it uh, a couple of years ago when I got sick. And the motor blew, and I didn't have the finances to fix it. So he bought that black bass cat that we the ran. The Pantera 2. Yeah. But uh, right now we're we're back in the Stratos after he rebuilt it this year. He completely nice. gutted that boat. It was fiberglass. He's touched more parts on that boat than Stratos has touched. You know, <laughs> and then considering Stratos is gone, that's a good thing. <laughs> you know, but no, that's he cool. he literally, you know, with with my guidance because I can't physically. I have my illness. I have a stomach problem, and if I get too active, my stomach really will start going. I'll get sick. Um, but. I'd sit in my chair out there, and he had the whole wiring harness of the boat. I mean, from from the nose of the boat to the tail of the boat, lifted out of the boat and on the driveway, and he's rebuilding it wire by wire, replacing every wire in that boat from the harness all the way to each end of it. So literally, it's running like a new boat. It looks like an old Stratus. But, I mean, it's running like a new boat. It's got a brand-new Yamaha show that the guys over at Bob's Marine in Modesto, thank you, Bill, you know, they hooked us up with a demo deal. They did a really good deal on it for us. He got it installed quick. He got it to us quick. I mean, it was still five months, but motors aren't easy. Oh, that's fast in the boat world? That's yeah, extremely that's, fast. That's okay. extremely fast <laughs> in the boat world. Okay. Um, don't feel you feel so better bad. now? Uh, fucking slightly, but not really. <laughs> <laughs> not really. No, I, I, um, I've car- I think I could carry a baby to term before a boat would be ready normally. <laughs> well, uh, so, you know, the way I was explained to me is, Yamaha and Mercury have to answer the boat manufacturers first before they answer to us and the dealers, you know, and unfortunately the boat manufacturers are just selling boats. Yep. And so their capacity. So you get put in this queue at the factory and literally I'd call bill and he goes, Oh, you're 13 in queue. Yeah. Well, here's the other thing I have. I got a bunch of farmer buddies and I took them out striper fishing and they, these guys all willed because they, they fix their stuff in the field all the time. And they were going around my boat, and they're just like, "These welds, what, what's going on? Like, it, they just look like spot welds. Like the beads suck, and they just started ripping on it. And I know how to weld from way back, so I kind of looked at it with another level of scrutiny myself. And I'm like, "Dude, you're right. These are dog shit rip welds. What's going on? Is it, and it just seems like they're just hammered busy right now, and they're just slamming them out as fast as possible, throwing paint on them, and kicking them out the door. Like." We have a buddy, um, we were, I was on a text message thread where he got his boat and they literally just missed a major seam in the, in the weld and it was literally water was coming in the back of the boat and he had to take it into the, sh- into, into a Sutter and have them have uh, the manufacturer come out and, and weld it. That's nuts to me. Like, how does that even happen? Oh, we had a guy, we had a guy, what was it? Last year we were out, brand new boat, first time on the water, running across, the outboard falls off. Oh, they no. didn't tighten up the bolts. <laughs> Sweet. Oh, no. And he, and he goes to the dealer. He goes, well, that's the factory. They're supposed to do that. And the factory goes, well, the dealer's supposed to check all that. Of course. So then there's a fight on who's going to replace this brand new outboard. And, oh, it's still six months to get one from the factory. I have, a, re- grand, I have a reoccurring nightmare where I look back in my boat and my motor's gone. It happens all the time. <laughs> so I have, Thanks for I have, putting that one <laughs> in my head. I have a scary start tournament story. One day we were running... The part of the river where I told you we could take your jet sled. And yeah. We don't take our bass boats up there very often. But in the winter, the winter water gets deep enough, and there's some sloughs in there that'll hold winter bass. 
Well, I was following Larry Frazier, and I believe Larry was following uh, these two older gentlemen. We fished together for years, and we watched them running a river. We'd run this stretch of river a hundred times, never hit anything. They hit something in the river, and it ripped their outboard off of the boat. This is a fiberglass 21-foot bass ranger bass boat. The motor goes up in the air, does a 360, and lands between oh the gosh. two of them running. Oh the my partner gosh. grabs the outboard and keeps it from cutting his, the driver's leg off as the driver's unconscious because when it came in, it hit him. And he reaches over over the prop running and pulls the kill switch. Holy shit. Uh, yeah, I have the seats for that boat still. <laughs> they totaled the boat that's, and we and, got the seats. And that's there. why I've got a tunnel hole. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. scary. Uh, so, I mean, that's insane. You know, run it, running bass boats in a river is dangerous. Yep. You know, we try. I don't take it up there very often. We So, this year with all the high water, we wanted to because the water was high enough to get into a place that, you know, I'm going to get killed by my friends, the ranch. And it's just a big farm pond. But you can only access it. You can only float over the beaver dam when the river gets to 19 feet. Once the river's at 19 feet, you'll see five or six bass boats leaving out of Tracy Oasis headed south. <laughs> and that's the only time of year it happens. You know, and, and, and they're all going to the ranch. They're all going further down all the way. I mean, I've had my boat as far as 132. So I don't know if you know what that is. It's, that's almost 50 miles of river running. Wow. Oh boy. So, a lot you know, of gas, Chad. A lot of gas. Yeah. That's a, a lot of gas. Amount of gas. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's, that's a long way. Um, but, I mean, I've run, as, I've run as far as an hour and a half straight run to find fish in a tournament situation. I'll do that on salt, but I just I can't really do it on the see, river. See, guys are willing to do it on salt, but why won't you do it on the lake? I don't know. I don't know. Why? I mean, you're willing. And in the salt, it's going to cost you 50 times more than in your little Because there's not a 30-pound tuna waiting for me to... No, Make but my real melt. Eighteen pound largemouth, though. Yeah, it's not the same. Or you know, a a like for me, the last two times I've made this run from Bass and Fly, a paycheck. Yeah. You know, I make this run to the South Delta from everywhere that Bass and Flies happen. When it was in Stockton and I won, I made the run from Stockton down there. That's sketchy running because that's through the river around back where it gets really bad. And then yeah. this last one was out of Frank's track, and I ran south out of there. That's pretty easy, 50, twenty minute run, something like that. Uh, I, I want to talk about um, we're, we're trying to get them on the show, but the uh, parks and rec in your area, oh, weed, the, weed abatement, all that stuff. What, what's what are you hearing on the ground? I'm trying to get them on the show, and it's it's um, it's kind of dragging. I so, hope somebody there's listening, and so maybe we'll get we a can kick give in the butt you, to get we can on. give you a couple of names for people that are on our side. That, what, I mean, like, what do you mean by our side? Uh, the anti spring, the Michael Birch. Okay, these so there, the there's these like are the lines fishermen. are drawn now. Well, on this? I mean, these well, these are the fishermen that are setting up and complaining. Okay, so just give us the entire background on it, just so, for because I don't know much about it, and I'm sure that there's people listening that have no idea what we're talking about. Backstory, including your boat. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. yeah I heard so, about it from another another party, and then we've reached out to the state on it and haven't heard back yet. So, so my understanding of it is, the state has. Always use chemicals to control weeds in the Delta. I heard Roundup. Uh, well, they've been spraying Roundup on the, the highest and the floating big mats that clog. You know this for sure? Yeah. I mean, they've been spraying it out for there for years. I mean, we've seen the boats. I mean, they're, they've they got giant airboats now, and they you can see them. They just spray over the top of highest. But we know it's Roundup? As That's what the state reports. I mean, okay. that's what they say on their website that they're okay. spraying. I mean, they've okay. actually openly said what they saw. I mean, the um, the other thing they're doing, and the one that everybody's really having a problem with, is with the sonar pelling. The pellets? It's called, yeah, the pellets. Yeah, 
So that's talk, called talk sonar. About that. yeah. That's the chemical. I believe the name is sonar. Yeah, that's Or right. it's a derivative of it. And those are little blue pellets or green that they throw in the water to kill the subsurface weeds. So those go down and they're supposed to kill the subsurface weeds. But if you've ever been around bluegill, throw in a handful of something. And what does a bluegill do? It they eats eat it. it. Yeah. So well, these guys are tossing food to bluegill. Well, also and, those pellets, I think, are supposed to kill the dissolve, dissolve the, the oxygen. oxygen. So yeah. then they die of asphyxiation, basically. Yeah. But, so fishing game story on that is, well, the fish will leave once the oxygen starts to deplete. But they don't because there's nowhere for them to go. They've pelleted everywhere. You know? They, well, okay. So we had a lake, uh, an ecosystem, lake and ecosystem guy on, and, and there that might be the perception, but how they manage it, I don't know how the state's managing it, but in the lake and ecosystem episode, he talks about this very specific thing. Um, they basically do a little section at a time for well, that reason. So when the DO starts to drop in a, g- a given area, the fish will be able to push out into spots where there's more concentration of oxygen. But then they kind of like, you know, they kind of um, – rotate it if you're if you know what crop rotations like it's kind of similar to that where they they kill the do in one spot and then they it they wait and they kill it in another spot so the fish are always kind of like moving to a safe zone that's yeah. how he explained it and and that in theory is how it's supposed to work the fishermen that are up there every day one yeah. of them is michael birch this guy's on the water 350 days a year yeah there's nobody that watches that delta closer and he is seeing way more dead fish now that they've upped the pelleting. There's dead beavers. There's dead. I was say the f- it doesn't stop at the fish no. because well, there's, the birds, the food there's birds eating these fish. Yeah, and well, and it probably starts at the bottom of the food chain. The well, aquatic think, life's probably and, getting and hammered. When when I talk to Mike about it, insects, and my yeah. thought is I think it starts with a bluegill because everything in the delta eats bluegill, largemouth striper. But I they mean, eat bugs. You yeah, know, they it's got to start at the bugs and then go up. But I hear you. Uh, I think if the bluegill are eating the pellets directly, they don't. And I think they do. I think when they throw those pellets in, bluegill are eating them because they're throwing them in weed beds that I know have bluegill in them. Right. I, I've seen, I mean, we catch them. I mean, we, we don't ever really target them, but they're there. And we know they're there because the bass are there eating them. Yeah, so, we're, we're trying to have somebody on from the state to kind of like go on the record and talk about this because it's a thorny issue. And, and oh, I know it it's, a, it's a big all, issue down there. All I know and what I see as a fisherman is I see vast deserts where I used to see beautiful fish fishing it's just a desert we had grantline canal last year there's stretches of grantline canal i used to be able to go in there and it was just a defined weed lake it wasn't a problem it wasn't encroaching into the lane of traffic is what they're saying they're trying to prevent it was on the side of the 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 river i mean where it's always been and yet they went in and pelleted why would you pellet that so basically you're you're argument is that they're just over it's overdone. overdoing it yeah okay. and i think all of the fishermen understand that that a chemical needs to be part of it yeah but it, but there are other reasons other ways to deal with some of these things yeah we want to you know we want to get them on we don't get stayed on to talk about you know operationally okay well, what what makes you guys decide to pull the trigger on a given region how what makes you decide how much um of the the application to apply See, all that the stuff problem is, is they've no been one refusing knows. to say that yeah, and we're, they, we're trying they haven't, to... Yeah, they haven't, they haven't wanted to talk to nobody about... Well, it's understandable, but to, they kind of have to. to. Yeah, they're it's supposed public... to release a map every week of the spray areas. Okay. But, but you know, the map we see, it seems like it's the same every week. It doesn't change. Or it changes this week, or we see boats where they're not supposed to be. I mean, hmm. there's a lot of times where you'll see a spray boat in the south, and you're like, well, the map said they weren't spraying down here this week. You know, why are you guys down here right now? You're not supposed to be. But, you know, so is, 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 my question is, is I don't think there's any oversight. 
And I don't think there's any concern for the well-being of the animals in the Delta by those people. Those people are boating in waterway. Their job is to keep the boating going. And the weeds are a problem. I've got my boat stuck surely in they have to work with other, other agencies. They can't do this in a, in a vacuum. No, they, they're not doing it in a vacuum. Fishing game is there, too. Okay. How bad is that, Hyacin? Um, I, my boat sat in it for almost two months. Because you couldn't get it out? That's it's why stuck. the motor blew. Well, That's blue why the motor blew. I got stuck in Hyacin about three and a half years ago. And it got uh, Coast Guard had to actually throw a big rope to me and drag me to the levee. And my boat sat on the levee with a blown motor for a month and a half before I could finally push it off and whip it back to the marina to get it and out. And this is happening to the big, bigger ships, too, trying to... Well, I mean, so when I got stuck, not even the Coast Guard boat could get to me. Where I was, they told me, you're out of luck. We can't <laughs> yeah. get to you. Oh, I do don't you... know. And I'm sitting there going, but I got a bass boat in here. So you do any of, the, any of the anglers, do they know any, any other pr- areas where they feel like the, the weed abatement program is being executed well? I wouldn't say well. I mean, well, okay, more effectively than it is in the Delta perceived by you guys. I don't know. I only know the Delta. Okay, I don't okay. know the Delta guys. That's fine. I mean, those those are my. I mean, those are the guys I fished with for years. You know, I mean, when we go to events, those are the guys that I know. I mean, yeah. I, I don't think they're. I don't think they're doing any weed abatement in any lakes by yeah. us at all. I mean, I don't think any of the well, lakes when, have any real weed. When uh, when and if we get these guys on the show, um, I think it would be smart to hook up with you guys in terms of like helping us yeah, craft or, the right questions. Well, I mean, I can, I can give you names. I mean, there's a couple of guys that are right on top of this. Yeah. Andy, okay. Andy Dua. And I can't remember. I can never pronounce his last name, but Andy, he's like the head of the Northern California anglers association. Or okay. Something. He's really, really watching those guys. And then Birch Birch okay. is, he's a tournament pro and you want to talk about Delta bass. He's a guy that he's a stick. Yeah. You know? I mean, I, I think that, you know, everybody starts with good intentions and then, you know, stuff can get off the skids. But I, I really do think that everybody's trying to do the best job they can. It's oh, just, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not advocating we sink their boats like some yeah. guys are. I mean, these guys are doing their jobs. I understand it. They're out there doing their jobs. I don't like it. Uh, you know, I've seen the devastation in, in my part of the Delta from yeah. it and, and some very key waters. And that's the other thing guys are going, well, why are they spraying in bays? I mean, they were spraying in or pelleting outside a spawning base. That's, but why? Because wait, what's a spawning bay? Just um, where a largemouth spawns, shallow, uh, flat, where a largemouth oh, okay. make babies. Okay, you know, I so, thought you said bay. You said bed. <laughs> bay. Oh, spawning okay. So bay. it's both. So it is a bay. It's usually a bay. It's both in bed or bay. It's well, interchangeable. So in a bay, you can have multiple beds. Oh, okay. So, so Got a spawning it. bay is right. just a flat where the I, fish Can are you tell spawn. I don't bass that much? I'm trying. <laughs> I know it's hard. You trout guys, I swear. <laughs> no, I'm more, yeah, I'm kind of so, stripering. So, so days, a but. bay is kind of like behind the rock where a trout wants to hang out. Right, you know? I got you. It's that okay. area. But it's a collection of It's of a collection. Of, it's, it's a flat. You know, it's usually okay. typically a flat. We call them bays, but, you know, uh, in the South Delta, typically it's a dead-end slough. Let's call it a clutch. We could be fly. I'm, I mean, I'm just kidding. Gets a little fancy then, but we are fly fishing. <laughs> yeah, <now>. exactly. <laughs> so you know, it is an indicator, yeah. not well, a bobber. So. Nick's got Nick's look, got, got something to say. I think no. You, so, do, you have the look of I'm got a question. And no. A hundred and how many episodes have we done now? Probably two episodes. <laughs> hundred and two. No, no. I'm just <laughs> taking okay. it all in. False so, positive from Nick. You know, so. I mean, I, I I love the Delta and. It doesn't fish as well as it did. That could be cyclical. I don't know. 
Uh, you know, some guys will say 20 you know, years though. I mean, you've got a lot of time I, out there. I, you, I mean, if you say it doesn't you know, fish as good as it used to, then no, I mean, it just doesn't fish as good as it used to. Hmm. I mean, and there's, I'm not the only one that says that. So something's happened, but I mean, there's guys that say that about the upper Sacramento. It doesn't fish as good as it used to. So I don't know if it's nostalgia, you know, it was my tournament days. Hey, you know, um, but but I'm not the only one that's saying that. I mean, when I when I sit yeah. and, and I talk to Mike, I talked to Mike Birch at the the Bass and Fly. He was there for the weigh-in, and Mike, he's kind of my go-to for the Delta, and, and he even he goes, the bite's just not right. He says it just doesn't. It's not fishing right. And well, for, it's for, lacked a lot of flushing, you know, for the last ten years with the drought situation in our <laughs> and state. That, and that that's that's that could be a big part of it. You know, I mean, my fish where I'm at, we didn't spawn till June, so that was a different year. So, I mean, the middle delta... Which is late, right? Yeah, which is way late. We should have spawned in April, and it didn't spawn until June. We didn't see fry, which is the baby bass after they hatch their fry, mm-hmm. um, is swimming around the spawning bays. We didn't see them until June down there. It was the same here because we got the bass lake in the right here. The uh, little fry. Same thing, man. It exactly was the same month. It, so, you just described, yeah. So, um, but most of the delta had spawned by that time. We talked to right. other people at the Bass and Fly... Sherman said he was off of bedfish already. Uh, two other people said that they hadn't seen any bedfish. I think one other team said they fished one bedfish all day. Hmm. Um, Vince Borges was another team. He said they had a big bedfish, but they couldn't get her to go. So there were still a few around the Delta, and they do that. They, they spawn sporadically through the, the fall yeah. and late early summer. But the majority go all at once in that month and a half range. Okay. Um, I got a question about fly tying. What's more important, color or profile? Probably color. If color. you had to pick one, color. color. Yeah, color. Especially, okay. especially if the water's dirty, color makes a huge difference. I'd say subsurface, color, and then on surface, profile. That's noise. Surface is noise. <laughs> surface is noise. Surface is noise. You need to wake them up if you want to t- play on top. I, I, you know, we throw sliders, and I have sliders. And I won my first bass and fly with a pole slider. Hmm. I I don't fish them that often though. Do you fish a lot of rattles for a striper? Um, we really don't striper fish all that much. No, we well, don't. We're we're bass guys. Today. I mean, we'll, if if we're in the South River and the striper come through, yeah, we'll hit them. You yeah. know, if we're we're going up, so we have right by the marina where we launch out of. There's agricultural dams, and they're temporary rock barriers they put in the river to raise the river level behind them. For the irrigation. So the farmers right. on a low tide don't draw air into their pumps. Right. It's, at least technically that's what they say they're for. I don't know. You know, that's but but they raise the water level behind the dam. So the striper will stack out in front of those and, and you can just go through and just catch schooling striper. But they sit on the outside of those dams and, and every once in a while you'll go through there and the fish fryer will light up with some really big arches. And then it's like, Okay, well tie claws are on, you know. Tie a clouser on, throw it through the hole, and see if he's in there. What did you say, fish lantern? Fish finder. Oh, fish finder. Sorry. I thought you were using some nomenclature, new, <laughs> new stuff I hadn't heard before. <laughs> I was okay. going to ask you about that if, yeah. you're, if you're using side scanners and, and marking yeah. big. So, what electronics do you guys use? Um, so we have both. Uh, we have a Lorant side scan with down imaging, and then we have a Hummingbird down image, the new Mega Down. Um, the down imaging for the lakes, yeah, we use it once in a while to find offshore fish on a hump or if you know sometimes in the lakes they start to move off you can see that you'll start to see stuff moving under your boat and you know they're moving under from underneath you uh in the delta i typically water temp maybe 
That's all I need. And 99.9% .9 of the time, he or I forget to throw it in the boat and it's water tipped by finger. <laughs> you know, and, and I'm pretty accurate. I mean, we've done Is that it. science scanning not accurate when, or doesn't come out when you're in the Delta and get moving water? Is that the reason or? No, the side scan works great in the Delta. And actually when I first got it, I idled the entire river where I fish, mm -hmm. but I idled the entire river and found, well, I know where all that is. Yeah. I found the entire stretch I fished. This is a 20 mile stretch of river. I found two trees that I didn't know about the whole time. Hmm. So, so I mean, I didn't need it. You know, if I was going to go and tournament fish full time again, oh, I it, indispensable. Yeah. I, indispensable. I guess if it's, if it's yeah. not your backyard, the probably utility of it yeah, goes if, way up. Right? If, if I had our boat with us today and we were going to go to Orville, yeah. I would say, yeah, I'd bring the fish finders. Yeah. At least the down image. So I can get an idea what yeah. the bottom structure is. What do you like better? The Lawrence or the hummingbird? <sighs> so it's like Nike or Adidas. It, it, and it's, you know, it's a weird thing. So, my only problem, I love the hummingbird. My only problem is, is they made them where if you have the down image unit, it doesn't do side image. If you have the side image, it's got to have this to do that. It's so complicated. You have to have five different units to do this, or you have to have the God unit that costs more than my boat, you know, and I am not going to afford that. So, so my Laranche, I have an HDS two that has the old school side image. It works just fine. So we run both of them. You know, we run them side by side on the dash. Um, the down image is off the trolling motor because that's the mega. Yeah. The mega down image is off the trolling motor. And then the, uh, side image is off the back of the boat. And that's because the side image, when you use side image, I don't typically use it to find fish. I use it to see what the structure, structure is. is. Yeah. And once I found the structure, I go, okay, it's right there on that wall, you know? Yeah. And, and I just visually mark it from there. It's nice for us on the river. Cause you can see, you know, something that you can't see sticking out of the surface of the water. You're like, Oh, hold on. Don't cast wait. You yeah. Know. Oh yeah. All right no, now it's, go. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's great. I, I I could see you guys drifting down the walls in the river. You know, just being oh, there's a log over there. Throw it. Throw it that. Throw right. it that. Throw it that. Quick. Yeah. You know, and and we've we've used that, but typically in the delta, besides maybe spotting weed lines, I, I guess I mean that's where I would use it if I needed to. If yeah. I you know there's a bite on the delta on a low tide where you just run weed lines, and you just fish the outside of the weeds, and that's all you do. We run a stage diver and we just parallel the weed line and you know finding that weed line with the side image is much easier but once i find it i go to a down image and my team partner even showed it the little bar flashy bar on the side is more accurate than the actual image itself huh. so i can follow a weed line by the flash bar and that's the old school flasher circle flashers mm -hmm. there are still a few tournament guys that will put that on because it's more responsive and instantaneous reading. Mm -hmm. So you don't you have to learn how to look at it. You just got to learn what each dot means. Yeah. And I can actually spot a fish in it suspended above it. Something that, you know, I learned to do when that was really the only thing we had my original hmm. bass boat. All they had was a flasher. So I learned to read the flasher. Yeah. It's like, know? it's like those guys that, um, they're on the sonar and in, in a sub and they, they can hear certain patterns and oh that's a that's a whale <laughs> don't worry about that captain that's a whale oh well, that might be a russian sub let's yeah. down slow down slow your ass down is that down periscope when he's communicating yeah, with the whale yeah. you know anybody swimming with the bass down there no i would listen to that podcast i want that guy to come down but the problem yeah, is it's just too dirty. too dirty yeah it's yeah. Dirty. yeah that's yeah. what you he know? said he said it's like um, the river, really the Stanislaus. Yeah, he'd have fun up there. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if he's done that. Paul, have you done the Stanislaus? Let's go. Yeah, <laughs> the Stanislaus up by Knights Ferry. There's, 
There's some monster striper in those holes. I mean, uh, Josh Brockett, uh, what's his fly shop there, there in... Uh, um, Fish First? Fit, no. That's uh, in Chico. It, he's in uh, Twain Hart. Oh, that's or right. Or Miwok Village. Lived. What is it? But Josh Brockett is... Um, I'll think of it. Uh, check his order. You got it on your phone. But he, uh, he's he been fishing the Stanislaus and doing really well on the striper. Cool. And it's cl- ultra clear water. Ultra. I'm sure he's going to be stoked. He just blew it up. But <laughs> uh, <he's, laughs> I'm just kidding. You know. Um, you know, I'm I'm one of those guys, and I, I and I got into it with a couple of guys. I don't hide anything. I'll tell you where I fish. I'll tell you where they're fishing. I don't care. Yeah, that dirty Ernie, dirty you, Ernie. You know, same way. You know, no. My theory is, those guys are never going to go catch my fish. I can get you in the river down there, and you could spend a month down there, and I could follow you down a bank and still probably catch a fish behind you, because you're not fishing the same as I am. You know, maybe some of the more sensitive trout waters, you know, you don't want 25 guys tramping up and down a creek. But but if it's a lake, come on, guys, let's get people out there fishing. You know, number one, it sells, you know, it's business for him. It keeps money in his pocket. Well, it also, know? like, people become conservationists eventually if they if they do it long enough. Well, and if we don't use it, we're going to lose it. Yeah. You know, it, it, and, and there's you look at the fishing population. I mean, it, compared to the the hiking population, we're nothing. You know, and Uh, and and fly fishing, especially Um, Matt Callis, millions and millions. One color. Matt said like one color Rapala outsells the entire fly fishing industry. One color. You know, it's I remember you telling me that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a ridiculous stat that that everybody in this fly fishing industry goes. We should really. So our biggest thing. Maybe tie on some Rapalas. Well, I mean, but that's why I did. Well, that's why I've got the big howitzers because my yeah. friends, their conventional guys, yeah. are going to go to the fly shop and look at those flies and go, what am I going to do with this? A damsel? I mean, yeah, it's that big. A bluegill's going to eat it. But he looks at my flies and they go, oh, okay. I see what you're getting at now. Because these guys are all throwing frogs. They're all throwing it frogs. That's familiar. Yeah. It's familiar to them. Yeah. And that's what we go after. Uh, same We've with gotten this, a few people you know, to convert over that way. They've yeah. picked up a fly rod more often. Do you guys, we were, t- we were, the other day, me and Nick were talking about the hybridization that's happening like very slowly. Like we we're seeing like, uh, you know, swivels in, in leader, leader setups and shit like that, bobbers, I mean, which, indicators? which maybe 15 years ago was sacrilegious. And now it's kind of like pretty common to at least have, you know, on a bobber rig, uh, some sort of a, yeah, a swivel we run a system swivel in ours. I mean, um, do you, how do you guys feel about like, cause it sounds like you have a lot of conventional anglers. Well, you know, and, so, and this is the business side. Yeah. I have what I call the fly brits. So mm-hmm. they're weighted the same wool minnow as I, you sh- you had earlier, mm-hmm. but they're weighted so they can be thrown on conventional gear. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, so we will cross over and you know, the other one is the one that won the, the bass and fly this year. We took a lot of shit for that jig fly. I was going to bring this up, but I'm glad okay. you did. No, I'll bring it up. <laughs> I actually got calls from people in the tournament asking if we got disqualified over that fly. And, you know, the... the, the there were no constraints around no. in terms of... Yeah. So, so, so it's kind of like an open class. There were some rules, but race. Well, so weight wasn't in one of them. Weight wasn't a rule. And there was a rule about silicon skirt in right. there. But they allowed it on everything. They don't. There's no word that says that you can only have 10 pieces of skirt. I bet it, there will be next year. Well, yeah. no. See, no. but here's the thing. He's going to piss off 50 of our customers if he does that. 
You know, we've sold so many jig flies since that tournament, yeah. and guys are using them. We got guys on Barry S that are just hooked so on jig flies. Talk about like, okay, so it's on a it's on a fly rod then. Yeah. So yeah. how does so it work? With a specialized cast. Do you just yeah. okay? So talk about so, how you fish it. So I'll talk about the development a little bit first. Yeah. It's not your traditional jig hook. So you know your traditional jig hook has a big heavy weed guard and big gaping. No, this is actually a hook designed to fish worms. It's a wacky rig hook made by Gamagatsu, and it's got a titanium weed guard in it. And it has a flash tail. It's got a marabou body. It's got dubbing in the body. And, yeah, a lot of skirt right behind the lead. But, I mean, what's, it what's is skirt? all uh, rub, rubber silicon, legs. Yeah, okay, rubber silicon okay, skirt. Okay. Um, so, to me, it, it classifies as, yeah, it's a hand-tied jig. It came off of a vice. It came out of my vice. Out of my hands. Literally, the night between day one and day two of the tournament is when I came up with the final version of that fly. Me and Ryan Williams fished a, day one a prototype of the jig fly, and Ryan couldn't get bit. I put all the fish in the boat. He could not get bit to save his life. And it wasn't that he was fishing it wrong. He couldn't determine the bite from the weed line. So that night, we went over to a buddy of mine's, Dave's uh, Bass Shack, or not Dave's Bass Shack, uh, Dave's Delta Outdoors on Bethel Island out there. He's a good guy. I've known him for years. And I bought some of those wacky jig hooks that have the two little stick-up wire weed guards. And my thought was as well, that's better than nothing. And because that's day one, we had no weed guard. But, you know, I'd been fishing the jig fly for about a month, so I had it dialed in. I had, you had the feel down. Yeah, I had a, it, it is a feel thing because it's a different type of fly fishing. So, uh, you know, so... The development of that fly came out of the, the cold water. The bite on the Delta sucked leading up to Bass and Fly. A month and a half before Bass and Fly, we went in the river, and I took my Cinco rod. Conventional gear, I took my Cinco rod. And I went through that river, and, and I'm kind of a Cinco junkie, and I kind of know that river. And, and I spent about a half a day poking around, and with my Cinco rod, I determined those fish were pre-spawn and where they were. And then we went back the next day, and we went with the flies, and we started picking fish off slowly, but we weren't getting the size I was getting with the Cinco rod. And I knew those fish were there. We'd seen them. We'd caught them. So there are fish in that area that are better than what we're getting. So we started throwing a big big topwater uh, uh, crowd surfer, black and yellow. It represents a baby duck, a coot, uh, uh, you know, the black ducks, mud ducks, whatever you want to call them. But they have yellow heads when they're babies. So we started seeing a few fish on that. And then about a week before Bass and Fly, it got... A cold storm came through. We had that week, about three days of cold, wet weather. Shut the bite down. We went in two days before Bass and Fly. We couldn't get bit on anything on top. And I started dragging this little piece of leather I had tied to a jig hook. It looked like a little curl tail worm. And it had a few pieces of rubber skirt on it. And it got picked. I'm like, okay, got bit. Okay. So then I did it again in a little area. And it got bit again. And we picked up a couple of fish with it. And I'm like, Okay, these guys are down deep, and I know that bite because conventional history tells me that's when I would pick up my Cinco. That's when I would pick up my jig. That's when I would pick up a brush hog, you know, soft plastic on a Texas rigged hook, something like that. I only understood about 20% of what you said right there. Does your fly imitate that brush hog? But I get it. They're they're all on the bottom, basically. The jig, yeah. Yeah, it represents the jig. I mean, and and it's just a crawl. I mean, it's all it is. is It's a different take on a crawl. You just can't fly. You can't throw it like a fly rod. No, you can't. You're hucking it. You're hucking it, right? How do you fish these jigs off off of a fly rod? So the cast is more more akin 
to a cast with an indicator. We let it kiss the water behind us Lo- and water loads. Water loads. Okay. Yeah. So we like use the water loads because you do not want to spend a lot of time with that thing in the air. It's heavy. The the eighth ounce one, the really heavy one, we do a sixteenth, you could throw it all day. The eighth ounce really heavy one, you don't want to spend a lot of time with it in here. So a lot of times I'm ripping it backwards and I'm actually letting line fly out behind me. I'm letting the water load from in front of me on my back yeah. cast. Load the rod back. Up, load the rod and throw, throw it back yeah. behind me. The minute it hits the water behind me, I'm water oh. loading forward and I am shooting that thing forward. And I'm not, it's not a lob cast like some people Long thought. leader? Is there a long leader no, involved? Two, three foot, five foot, you know. Um, the biggest key was that I learned when trying to figure this out was a sink tip. You gotta do it on a sink tip. If you use a full sink line, your line gets down in the water in the weeds. You want and, that hinge. And you won't be able to mend it, you won't be able to correct it, and the current will grab it more. Mm. So the current in the delta outside the weeds is really strong. Inside the weeds isn't. So what we were doing, we were pitching it to the rock, it would sink to the bottom of the rock, and then we would drag it slowly through that weed line. And as it was come off the rocks through that weed line, on a high tide, we were getting bit inside. On a low tide, they were on the outside. Hmm. And it was it was ideal to show Ryan. And Ryan learned so much that trip because it, it fished like it typically should. On a high tide, they were up tight. On a low tide, they were out a little bit. You know, so, so it fished perfectly to teach somebody to do that. Day one, he kept getting snagged in the weeds down there, and he couldn't tell if it was a weed or a fish. Well, day two, when I did that prototype there with the weed guard, completely changed. Day two, he caught all of our fish. So then I all caught. that all that learning is now in these flies. Can you buy that particular jig on your site? Uh, you yes. can buy the jig fly cool. from us, yes. Okay. Are uh, there restrictions in like conventional bass tournaments on um, gear? Eight-foot rod length is a big one. It's one that we fight with them about because I want to I want to fish. On the fly one or the conventional? Conventional tournament. They, they don't have anything, anything longer than Anything over eight foot. Um, some guys have gone to nine foot now. Um, I think I think FLW even gone to nine foot has gone to nine foot. That's right. Some That's... of these guys have got big crankbait rods now, but but they have an eight foot limit. I have one of my rods with me is an eight foot rod that if I fish one of those tournaments, I take nothing on the um, lures or anything like that. Nothing no, on... I mean all artificial. That's it. I mean it's right. artificial lure. Only. Right. What uh what what size uh, rod are you using on the on the jig? I use a nine weight. Nine. Okay. Yeah, I use. I use an eight foot nine weight. Um, it's the Bass Pros brand. The the heat rod. It's a the real fly rod. Yeah. It's okay. A heat fly rod. It's a really stout eight foot rod, okay. and that's what you want. You want a really stout. You need to get it up and out. And yeah. the reason I want a stout rod is not necessarily to handle the fly. It's to handle the fish. Huh. Because where we're getting these fish, it's not pretty. It's heavy weeds. No, it you costs need, you need three to turn rods this year. It cost me three rods cool. this year. Two well, dirty um, bass and fly. I want to go striper fish with you guys. So let's let's try and wind this up really okay. quick. But um, I've got some questions what questions for you, Bradley, and they're around the e-commerce site. Um, first of all, what's the URL? Uh, DeltaBassBugs.com. DeltaBassBugs.com. Um, how long have you guys been doing it? I've uh, been in business right around five years now. Okay. And then what do you run uh, for your, your shopping site? What do you run it on? Uh, we use Shopify. Shopify, yeah. We are, we're going to also. It's, yeah, they, it's, it's convenient, and I don't mind losing yeah. a few dollars here and there to their fees. Yeah. yeah. Cool. And, and they're really easy to set up. I mean, yeah. I, I have a web history. I mean, I have a tech background. I was, I was material science. for. I was an engineer for a lot of years. So, you know, I, I did all the web design. So I've taught him all of that, and he now he, he takes care of all of it on his own. And, cool. But, you know, major changes, I'll still sit down and type it out with him and, 
helping with the code and stuff. Cool. I would put a maybe put an about us page on there. I think at one just time so, there was no. like a little just family history and a little I bit think, about you guys. I think if you scroll down, there is, but I don't. I, don't, know. I couldn't I don't find know. one. We we changed websites a couple of years ago, um, and we lost a lot of the pages because this is more of a store based. Yeah. But but we've they've added that feature now because like uh, the the fall fly fishing tournament, it's got its own page. Yeah yeah you yeah. You know, and and I was able to link that through. Yeah, they added the CMS like. I don't know, shoot, probably four years ago or so. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's, so yeah, it's we've, great, we've been adding better. it, but we, I mean, we've got more and cool. more. You know, I, <clears throat> it, it's, it's getting crowded, the website, and it, it probably needs to be thinned out because, uh, you know, we, we have manufacturers that we deal with in China to get some of our tying materials, mm -hmm. and they offer us a lot of tying stuff as drop shipping. Hmm. So we don't, you know... We don't ever have to handle it, and you guys get really good prices on some stuff. I mean, like, we got fly lines on there for, like, $20. Wow. And it comes straight out of China, and guess what? That's the fly line that I'll be throwing today. That yeah. that the um, the outbound short fly line that I throw is beautiful stuff. I mean, and you'll see it'll chuck a bug. Sweet. And, and it's 20 bucks. Well, let's uh, let's wrap it up. Nick, did you have something? Uh, do you want you were gonna, Yeah, yeah. It would go on forever. I know. You, you want to wrap it up? So yeah, because we want to get out there. there. I mean, it's nice and overcast striper day. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we have uh, the fall fly fishing classic for Cast Hope that's coming up on the 22nd. You want to talk about that for a sec? Yeah, so Tracy Oasis, we've known them for years. I've known Corinne. She's the owner since I was six and fishing tournaments with him. Yeah. Um, and they had a spare tournament permit, and they offered it to us. So I got in contact with Cast Hope about running a charity tournament for them. Cool. That's, and, thank you for doing that. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, these permits are not, I mean, they're, they're really hard to come by, and they're, they're not cheap. So for, for Tracy Oasis, they're really good. They, they do a few tournaments a year for charities. They do this one. They do a Toys for Tot tournament. And, you know, and, and they offered this to us, and we, we couldn't say no. And it's like, well, we could just do a tournament. And I mean, I could have ran a tournament and made money. I mean, I know enough guys. I could have run a tournament, paid 80%, and... You know, probably had 25, 30 boats and made a couple hundred dollars. Now, what we're doing is a straight tournament. It's, you know, a $50 entry fee, $10 big fish, $20 donation to Casto. Your donation to Casto is right there up front. Um, there is a line on the entry form to, to put a little bit more if you have it. You know, some fly fishermen do, some don't. We're not requiring it, but a $20 donation is required. With that donation, you will get entered in you'll get a raffle ticket for you and your team member um and the raffle's getting pretty good we've got some good stuff galvin's in um are you superfly send us one of his birds i nice. mean so neil sent over three dozen poppers um i'm doing a hundred dollar box and two fifty dollar boxes of cool. flies cut, wow. you know our custom, custom bass boxes yeah. cool. those have been good those are a really great deal for people too yeah you know Very you cool. you say i want to spend forty dollars he puts a box together for you you go ah can i get an extra howitzer and one less and we'll switch it around, and oh, there's your order. And it goes out in a nice plano, shipped out to you, and it's great. Very cool. You know? So, um, but the, the tournament is, is going to be your typical bass tournament format, five fish, 12-inch limit. Um, the beauty of where we're having it, we're having it out of the Tracy Oasis. This is the dirty South Delta. This is my home. We don't bring people down there very often. But for this tournament, guys with jet sleds, I will direct you into the river. I will give you GPS coordinates. I will give you good water. I am not hiding anybody. You will see me down there fishing by you. But if you have a regular boat, I will not. Because 
I will we got not places feel, we will send you. I got places I can send you to, <laughs> but I don't want you guys down there because I don't want seeing people hurting their boats. You know, but but your guys' sled, eh, it's go in the river, have fun. Cool. It'll be a blast. I mean, there's timber, there's tree. You're going to get down there and you're just going to shit yourself. Because, I mean, where do we start? And that's and that's why I don't worry about it. Where well, are you start? talk to Nick offline and see if we can make it happen down there. Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be a great little tournament. we got a cool. barbecue afterwards. So if you don't want to make the tournament, come in for the weigh-ins. Um, I think we're going to charge $10 for a barbecue ticket. That includes one raffle ticket. We're also going to sell raffle tickets to get in the raffle. Um, like I said, we've got RU Superfly. Um, um, Postfly. So Postfly gonna... is going to hook us up. Galvin's. Cool. Um, who was it? The, the box. Uh, that was Postfly. No. Um, Brookfly Fishing. Yeah, Brookfly okay. Fishing. They sent Sweet. us a book, a box, and a nice patch. You know, so, so and, you know, it's not going to be huge. It's the first year. I would be stoked if we got 25 boats. And and you're this uh it's on your website, right? It's yeah, on the do, website. You, do you it's know right what the, the forward slash it? Oh, it's on the homepage. Okay, yeah, if you cool. go to the homepage, okay, cool. Just below Delta Bass Bugs, there's a little September twenty second. Yeah, September How, twenty second um, out of Tracy. You're on Instagram too, yeah. Yes. What's your Instagram? Uh Delta Bass Bugs. Delta Bass Bugs. Yeah. Delta Bass Bugs dot com. Yeah. No, just Delta Bass Bugs on Instagram. And then oh, oh no, we have Delta Bass Bugs dot com too. For your website. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, are you on Facebook? Yes, Delta Bass Bugs as well. Okay, cool. I like the continuity. On Facebook, if you go. And search Fall Fly Fishing Classic. You can see the event page okay, for the cool. tournament. Mark yourself we'll, as we'll coming. Link, we'll link to all this stuff. Yeah. Too. Um, but yeah, it, it's right on the homepage. He put it up yesterday. There's a link right on the homepage to to the nice. tournament, uh, as well as in the menu. Look for Fall Fly Fishing Classic. Okay. It's there. Um, but it, it, it's going to be a good tournament. Should be. I mean, that part of the Delta fish is really well that time of year. Good. Um, there are times that time of year we don't even put the big motor down. Literally, it's fish between the marina and the rock wall and back. And that's the morning. Um, I mean, okay. So, I mean, it could be because this tur- this marina has lots of tournaments. And they release fish right there on that rock wall. And it's a meat wall. And there's several meat walls through the delta. And we call them meat walls. They're, every tournament fisherman has them. There's a meat wall in Stockton. There's a meat wall at Frank's Track. There's a meat wall at Frank's. Anywhere that has a tournament has what we call a meat wall outside. <laughs> it may be a rock wall. It may be a bunch of tulies. It may just be a ditch. But the fish leave there, and they'll haunt that. <laughs> Eventually, they move on because the population gets too high. But the population, that is constantly planted through the year. <laughs> I mean, basically, that area is planted. Uh, you know, you figure they got 50 boats, or, well, let's say 35 boats on a big tournament. Each boat's bringing five fish and releasing them right there. So Grant Line Canal is planted for years. Grant Line Canal's been planted. Hmm. And that's why the South Delta, I feel, is a better average size fish than the North Delta. So when you say they're planted, it's because the tournaments are running and they're relocating the fish. Yeah, they're relocating okay. the fish. Okay, it's, they're so still guys, native fish. It's yeah. not like the state's dumping no, bass. No, no. Yeah. No, yeah, but okay. but it's just want to you know, be clear. But it's you know it's it's guys like Larry Frazier running an hour and a half to Sherman Island, yeah. catching that Sherman Island genetics. And then right. he's running an hour and a half back, weighing him in. He's not going to bring him back to Sherman, no. He's going to throw him off the side of his boat out in the deep canal right there <laughs> on that rock wall. And one of the biggest fish I ever saw weighed in that tournament came off of that rock wall. 12 pounds with like 30 God, that's a whole other episode we could do around just that the, the moving fish around and missing 
messing those genetics up. And it was 12 pounds with what in it? It was th- three minutes I guess to go before he had back to be on the way in. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Yeah, but aren't, aren't the tournaments now, they're doing it on, on the boat, like they scan them or something? Or so that's the, the Major stuff. League Fishing style, yeah. and I love it. It's a it's great, a great idea. It's, I mean, it's entertaining. It's better format. on the fish, too. Um, I, I want to go compete with my fly rods. I think I can keep up. Yeah, I honestly, the, cool. the average size fish is right there. I think we should we, get somebody from that that organization on the podcast. That'd be cool to talk about. Marty, Marty's a good guy. I, I okay. met Marty a few times. Well, over cool. Here. All right. Well, we're going to take, take your fly back before it ends gonna, up in my we're pocket. We're going to put this baby to bed <laughs> yeah. so that we can go fish for some striper with these fellas. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, please Thanks rate us. us yeah, you bet. Yeah, you Thank bet. You. Thanks for coming up. Uh, pre- please, please, please rate us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Oh, cool. I uh, want to thank Cal Trout for sponsoring this episode. Thank you, guys. Uh, if you are not a member of Cal Trout, please uh, take a look at their website and sign up. Nick, anything else? Sounds good, man. Let's get Tight it lines, done. everybody. Have a good one. Special thanks to our sponsors. Without them, this show would not be possible. And thanks for listening. If you have ideas or any questions for the show, send an email to fishon at barbless.co or join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash the barbless podcast and tap on the visit group link. Also be sure to follow us on Instagram at barbless.co or find us on YouTube. Thanks for listening.